Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. Let's read this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts, even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also adorned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lusts for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but approve of those who practice them. That is a mouthful, guys. How many of y'all understood that and we can just go home? There's a lot going on in there. Let me tell you a story. During the 1982 war in the Falkland Islands between England and Argentina, the Royal Navy's 3,500-ton destroyer, the HMS Sheffield, was sunk by a single missile fired from an Argentine fighter jet. It caused some people to wonder if modern surface warships were obsolete, sitting ducks for today's sophisticated missiles. But a later check revealed that the Sheffield's defenses did pick up the incoming missile, and the ship's computer correctly identified it as a French-made exocet. But the computer was programmed to ignore exosets as friendly. The Sheffield was sunk by a missile it saw coming and could have evaded. What does that have to do with our passage today? Well, as we continue in our study of the book of Romans, last week we saw how Paul was getting ready. Remember, he's like a boxer who's like, he's gotten up from his chair, and now he's kind of shaking it out, right? And he's getting ready to go. This week, what we're going to do today, the bell's rung, guys. Here we go. He's going to come out swinging. He's got his boxing gloves on. We've touched gloves, and it's go time. He's going to come at us swinging. And what's he going to come at us swinging about? Remember last week he said to us, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, 
And he says, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach to you that gospel. So what do you think he's going to start to say today? That gospel. Before we get into that, let's think about what the word gospel means. What does it literally mean? It is good news. That's what the gospel is. It is good news. Well, good is a relative term. Let's say Pam is going to get $1,000. Cool, right? Amy's going to get a million dollars. All of a sudden, that's not such good news anymore, is it? Pam's going to get $1,000. And now she's kind of thinking, all right, Cindy's going to get 50 cents. Not so bad now, is it, Pam? Which one of these scenarios is good news? I don't know, it's only good in, in a relative context. So when I tell you that the gospel is good news, it only makes sense in a comparative context. So how do we create this context for you to understand what is good about it? Well, the way that Paul's going to do it, and probably the most effective way of telling people news in this sort of sense, is by first explaining the bad news. Well, that's what we're going to do today. He's going to come out swinging, he's got his gloves on, and what he's going to tell us is all about this bad news. What do you mean, bad news? Well, as we read here, there's a lot of bad news going on here. There's a lot of stuff going on here. This is the first major section of the epistle to the Romans. It is the justification of condemnation. Woo! Do I need to say that again? This is the part of the epistle where Paul tells us the justification for the condemnation. What does justification mean? Is he right to do it? Is it okay to do? Is it justified? Is it okay to condemn people? To condemn them is to, you know, if they've done something wrong and they need to be punished for that. Is God okay in punishing people for what they've done? Well, what have they done? Well, that's kind of what we read about. And Paul told us on no uncertain terms what people do. And do you know people that do stuff like this, especially at that end there in verse 30 and so? You know, envious, backbiters, haters of this, and backbiters, and on and on he goes. Do you know anybody that does stuff like that? I bet you do. And you know what's true? I bet there was a time in your life when that described you. And is God just in condemning people who are guilty of that stuff? That's some pretty bad news, isn't it? That's ouch. Whew. So this is how we're starting. The condemnation that's going to be given to people is what Paul is going to begin this epistle with. It's going to be broken down into three parts. So as we kind of project what we're going to be doing in church for the next, well, today and the next two weeks. This week we're going to be looking at condemnation being given to the pagans. Pagans are people that are outright, they don't care about God, maybe they're atheistic, they're just pagans, they're unbelievers, whatever. They just are gone with the wind. And are these people just in their condemnation? 
That's the question you're going to have to answer. The next section, chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, God's going to tell us all about how he is just in condemning the pious that are among us. Not only are the pagans condemned, but the pious are also condemned. Who are pious people? Pious people are religious people. They're moral people. They're the high ground people. They're the, well, we were kind of talking about this in Sunday school, weren't we? Well, my parents are Christians, and so that makes me a Christian, and so I am here, and since I'm here, that God is not just in condemning me because I am a pious person. Piety can refer back to like the Pharisees. They're very pious. They thought they knew the law. They had answers from the law. They had it all figured out. They had reasons and rules and regulations. And boy, if there's anybody that had religiosity figured out, it was the Pharisees. Is God just in condemning those people? Or do they have it all figured out in such a way that, boy, God just is a little, he's overstepping his bounds a little bit. They are really pious, you know. Is God just in condemning them? That's what we'll be looking at next week. And then finally, chapter 2, verses 17 and to uh, chapter 3 and verse 9. The preferred people. So the pagans, the pious, and the preferred. Who are the preferred people? The Jews. God chose them. By golly, they're the apple of his eye. Is God just in condemning those people? That'd be like saying that I'm going to punish my favorite son. I wouldn't dare do that, would I? No, I could never do that. Not my favorite son. He doesn't do anything wrong. Is God just in condemning the preferred people of this world? So we're going to be looking at that in a couple of weeks. But today we're going to be looking at the pagans. Are, is God just in condemning the pagans among us? Now clearly he's not talking about any of us, right? This will in no way describe any of us whatsoever, right? No, not us. Well, let's start to look at this. God wants you to heed the warning signs of your sins. God wants you to heed the warning signs of our sins. So what are the warning signs here that Paul's going to be given to us here in verses 18 through 32? Well, the first sign in chapter 1, verse 18 through 23 is when we discount the truth of God. When we discount the truth of God. The second sign, in 24 through 27, is when we distort the truth of God. There's a discounting of the truth of God. There's a distorting of the truth of God. And then finally, verses 28 through 32, is when we ultimately just discard the truth of God. Do you know anybody that does stuff like this? They discount the truth of God. They say, well, I know that only God could have done that, but there's no way that God could have done that. You ever try to tell somebody something that happened in your life that God did, and they're like, that couldn't have been God. God couldn't have done that. God wouldn't have done that. God, God doesn't do stuff like that. This is where we're going to begin. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress or hold down or discount the truth 
in unrighteousness. Why? Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. It's shown in them. For God has shown it to them. And here's how he's done that. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. In other words, it is impossible for anybody who's ever lived on God's green earth to go outside and say there is no God. In fact, the psalmist tells us that the heavens declare what, guys? The glory of God. The heavens declare it. You cannot go out into creation and conclude that there is no God. Anytime you see a painting, there had to have been a painter. Anytime you see a building, there had to have been a builder. So when you see creation, there had to have been a creator. It's just the way it works. And this is what he's saying here. Now, what's interesting here, my theological students, this is what we call general revelation. It's, it's information about God, but given to us in a very general sense. It's nothing specific. There's nothing outlining or detailing who God is. It's just telling us that there is a God. Because only God could have created this beautiful sunshine. This didn't come as a process of evolution or period of time or anything like that. It's only come about from one reason. Because God made it. Case closed. That's it. But does that tell you anything about God? Does it tell you anything about salvation? Does it tell you anything about Jesus? Does it tell you anything more specific? No. It is general in its scope. And that's all it is. But it is enough to tell you that there is a God. And one of the rules that comes to follow, if there is a God, you will be accountable to him. Why? Because he's over you. At my job, there are people above me. I might not always know their names. That doesn't mean they're not above me. And if they show up at my workplace, guess what? They have the right to do whatever they want with me because they're over me. It doesn't matter if I know what their name is or how long they've had that position. If they're over me, I'm responsible to them, and that's the end of it. So if there is a God, and we know there is a God, you are responsible to him. So this general revelation is enough to tell you that there is a God. And what Paul is telling us here is the warning sign, since there is a God, you're responsible to him. Unfortunately, there is condemnation that's brought about because of it. Why? Because you are guilty of some of these following things here. You have seen the creation, but you've discounted that truth. That's quite an offensive thing. If I tell you something that's true and you tell me, no, that's not true, what are you calling me, a liar? That's not okay. It's not okay if you do that to me, and I'm telling you it's no better when you do it to God. And that's what he's trying to say to us here. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There is no excuse for all of humanity to know that there is a God, and that you are responsible to him. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God. If He is over you, if you are responsible to Him, you better glorify Him and revere Him as such. How many of us do that just because we want to? We don't, do we? How many people do you know that just do it just because out of the goodness of their hearts, they're just going to love God? That doesn't happen, ever. That's not how that's worked. It's not how it's ever going to work. 
There's an eternal condemnation that comes as a result of not giving God his just due. Nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. People discount the truth of God every single day. And even though this is directed at pagans, we are all susceptible to this. And the warning sign that we have to understand is that it could be any of us. We need to heed these warning signs or we're going to be sunk like that ship even though we knew the missile was coming. We know that condemnation is just. We understand that it's happening. We can't avoid it. We don't have to be sunk like the Sheffield. Next, in verse 24, we can distort the truth. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness. God sees that these pagans, these people, are just doing whatever they want to do. How many times have you seen your kids start to act up or misbehave, and you go, you know what? You want to play with the stove? Go play with the stove. You want to do that with your Play-Doh? Go right ahead. You're cleaning it up, though. You want to do that with your spaghetti? Fine. You're cleaning it up, though. You're not having any snack later. We do this with our kids, don't we? We just kind of, we give them enough rope to hang themselves, and then when they're at the end of it, and they're like, uh, I tried to tell you. That's what God does with us as people. You think that this is okay? You think this is acceptable? You think it's okay to just do like this? As Dr. Phil would say, how's that working out for you? How's that working out for you? It's not quite as hunky-dory as you thought it was going to be. When you distort the truth of God, all of a sudden, it doesn't quite work out like you thought it was going to. All of a sudden, life's a little harder than it should be. All of a sudden, life's not as fair as you wanted it to be. All of a sudden, you're not getting everything you want. And we just can't figure out why. We can't just put our finger on it at all. Well, what do you think is going to happen when you distort the truth of God? And then you think you still shouldn't be judged for that. You still shouldn't be condemned for that. You still, you're still good with God, even though you're distorting His truth and you know, you're blowing it way out of context. You're still good though, right? No. Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creator rather than the, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what was against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. This is what happens when we're just left to our own devices. We just mess it all up. We know what the right answers are. We know what we're supposed to do. God has placed inside of us what's supposed to happen. We know that we distort the truth of God. How many of you, when you do something wrong, you know that you did something wrong? Seriously? You stub your toe, you say something you shouldn't have, and you're like, I shouldn't have done it. We know. But then we say, but I did stub my toe, and it did hurt. 
stop distorting the truth of God. You know that that's wrong. And when you try to distort the truth of God like that, that is why God is just in condemning you for your actions. So don't tell me when it's all said and done, if you just think that everything's okay like this, you die and you stand before him and he says, you know what, trap door time, boom. You get penalized for your sins in a real place called hell. I shouldn't have been, no, 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 this isn't right. Why is it not right? This is the warning sign. You knew this whole time that if you distort the truth of God, that's what's going to happen. You were told. If you discount the truth, if you distort the truth, and you got to pay for your own sins when it's all said and done, he is just in condemning you to an eternity in hell for your sins. And finally, we can discard the truth. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, in other words, they knew, but they just throw it away. They discard the fact that God is real, that he has issues, that he has regulations, that he has a set that he wants done. He wants perfection from people. He wants things his way. And yes, he can demand that because he is God and you are not. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Again, he just says, you know what? you're going to do it, just do it. Let's just see how that goes for you. Let's just see how this works for you. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, malices, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. You know anybody that sounds like that? And you can say it yourself. There was a period of time where this very much more accurately described all of us than we really care to admit. And yes, God is just in condemning people that do this stuff. Yes, even you. Yes, even me. God is just in condemning people who are sinful who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. What kind of death? Not just physical death, but eternal death. There is a penalty to be had for being disobedient to God. And that penalty, when you die, is hell. And God is just in giving that to you if you just let things take their course. That's the bad news, isn't it? That's horrible news. I don't want anybody to go to hell. I hope you don't want anybody to end up in hell. The warning signs are perfectly clear. The warning signs are abundantly clear. There's nothing about what you've read here that says there's any bit of wiggle room for any of this. There is no wiggle room. The condemnation is just. It's sound. It's perfect. It's exactly the way it should be. And if you or I are guilty of these things, God is just in condemning us to death. That's bad news. That's really bad. But I said the gospel's good news. 
What is the good news? That in spite of the fact that you're a sinner, Christ died for you. He took that penalty, that punishment, that you're supposed to have. He took it upon Himself when He died on that cross. He took it so that you wouldn't have to. And then all of these things that you were guilty of, He took it on His shoulders, on His back. All the beatings, everything He took so that you could be forgiven. Well, that is good news, isn't it? feels good to be forgiven. If Amy and I have a little fight and she tells me that she forgives me for something because she's perfect, she doesn't do anything wrong, what's there to forgive? But when I receive that forgiveness from her for something that I've done wrong, you know how good that feels? That's good. That's really good. And if that's good from her, how much better is it to receive that from God? There's forgiveness to be had in Jesus. That's good news. That's the gospel. There's bad news of condemnation. And we looked at these pagans, these unrepentant, just awful people. God is just in condemning them, and the warning signs are clear. And it could be any one of us. Next week, we're going to look at the pious people. What's so special about them? What's so unique about them? There's warning signs for us that we need to follow. We do not want to be caught at the end. We can't say we didn't know. Let's pray.